Welcome back to the Awesome Awful Podcast presented by The Daily Drunk. Today we are talking about the 1980s science fiction marvel, Flash Gordon, and we're here to talk about it with Diana Mullins. Diana, hi, how are you? Hi, good to meet you, Josh. Yeah, you as well. And I have to say, first off, a huge thank you for putting Flash in the form because as I was telling you before the show, this is the the first movie I thought I wanted to talk about on this show was Flash Gordon. So many thanks. Yes, my pleasure. I mean, I was 11 in 1980 when it was made. I, I realized how much it has shaped my life. So I, I will start where we always do, which is why why did you choose this movie? Of all the good, the bad movies out there that we love, why why this one? What stands out for you? It has everything in it. The awesome, awful scale is tipped in the favor of awesome, but there are plenty of awful things about it. It's campy, right? It has hot hail. It has a football legend. It has an evil emperor who can, he lords over an imperial vortex. Yeah, it has the best villains, the best heroes. And aside from its blatant racism and sexism, we can mine it for a lot of excellent satire. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the hot hail because I was watching it again. And it's funny because every time I watch it, I, I pick up on something else. And I was like, what the hell is hot hail? I, I even Googled it. There's no such thing as hot hail. Ming just made hot hail to piss off Earth. I think so. It, the theory, I think, is explained by Dr. Zarkov, right? He says that the moon has been influenced by some sort of force that is breaking it up so that the hail is actually from our moon, which is disintegrating and it's heading toward earth. So, but it's so silly because the first time you see the hot hail, it's like this little plunk of a steaming little tiny rock that falls (laughs) into the water in Vermont. We're supposed to start in Vermont. Right. right? And I love, I love the sound. It makes a whistling sound when it falls. It's so, it's just so over the top corny, but that's why we love it. That's why it's so brilliant. It is so corny and uh, it feels like hot hail is the ultimate oxymoron, right? And it's sort of this, it encapsulates the whole, the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Without wanting to go about hot hail too long when I Googled it, because I did way too much research on hot hail. <laughs> Google essentially just answered how it can still hail when it's hot, which again, reinforced <laughs> that it doesn't actually exist, but hey. Now, now it does, thanks to Flash Gordon. So you brought up a lot, you brought up how there is a lot of awesome in this movie. And I think one thing, this sense of humor in this movie is actually pretty good. Like without even being like a, oh, that's so bad, it's funny. Some of their jokes are really funny. Like when Flash is tied up and Ming has just put him in jail to be executed, the first thing he says is, I demand to see the governor. That's, right. that's really funny. <laughs> that is really funny. And the first thing that happens when he demands to see Dale is she comes in and he... He says, I, I want to see her, right? So his mask is removed and he says, you look great. And she said, it's the eye makeup, right? Yeah. This is the kind of thing they're going to talk about moments before he's executed. And I have to say the leather Speedo 
It's one of the yeah. reasons why, like his execution dress, he marches in front of the kingdom toward his chair of doom where he's going to get poisoned in this tiny little leather speedo. And as an 11 year old girl with my girlfriend, she and I were like rolling around in front of the TV set in 1980, just loving, loving that moment. Yeah, it, it's great. And it's funny because he gradually loses clothes. Like he starts off in this t-shirt, which I'll, I'll talk about the t-shirt in a second. And then whenever he leaves, he all of a sudden has this tank top that I don't know how he got because he he was wearing an outfit that Princess Aura took for him that was like one of Ming's guards outfits. He loses that. And all of a sudden he's got a tank top with his logo on it. I just don't know where it came from, but I guess they want to remind you that this is still flat. I don't know. It's, it's just the wardrobe choices are great, too, because. And this is another thing I just picked up on was how Flash and Dale, they match from the very first scene. They're both wearing red and white. Like they planned this. They, they're in a plane that has the red and white pinstriping. It was definitely a conscious choice. Yeah. It was. Stylized. Lovely. <laughs> and then I, I have to point out one of my other favorite jokes, which is when, I mean, the whole scene where Flash has this green egg and is taking on all of Ming's guards just by being a football player. There's one point where Ming leans over to Clytus, who is the head of, I guess, their military. And he asks if his soldiers are on the right pills. Exactly. And then he follows up and says, maybe you should execute their trainer. trainer. I, that's that, funny. That is hilarious. It's followed by, do you remember when his goons, right? The, the opposing football team, they come over and they huddle with Clytus. <laughs> and he's actually showing them what move to make. He like gets down and he goes, do this, right? And then they go back out. And uh, Dale's cheering on the sidelines and um, Hawkman, Voltan is banging one of them on the head and everybody's helping and it's like this football game. It's such a great scene. That scene in and of itself is worth watching over and over. And I'm glad you brought up Dale because she's on the sideline just saying, go Flash, go over and over. And it is just such a wonderful scene. She's, and if she's... you watch that, she does a couple things with her arms and her chest, which is what <laughs> I used to do to build my breasts to make them bigger my friends and I used to do this move and it was just like that go flash go and I think I'm I might be misremembering but I think every other time after I saw that movie that I did that breast increasing move <laughs> I actually said go flash go that's right as you should I mean that that's kind of how it has to be speaking speaking of football I have to ask how you think the New York Jets fared while Gordon was away saving the universe. You think they did? Okay? It seems like if Flash can save the world, he can do anything. So do you think the New York Jets failed while he was gone? I think that they were despondent. I mean, 1968 was the last time with Joe Namath that they won the Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe Flash is in a time warp and he's got Ming's ring and he's going to bring it back now and they're going to do suddenly better. But unfortunately, I don't think it did anything for the Jets record to have Flash up on Mongo. No, no, definitely should have planned ahead for a space kidnapping. The Jets should have, but <laughs> which also it made me think I, I, maybe I'm getting way off topic here. But if this were to happen today, what professional athlete would you want to have be captured if they are if this if the fate of the universe rested on their shoulders <laughs> I, I have mean, to go with I mean Joe Namath he's too old right but that was the glory days of football when my grandfather used to sit in front of the tv watching Notre Dame and <laughs> he would be like you know they don't make them like that anymore right like these these quarterbacks nowadays they care about winning they care about contracts but back then when when whoever wrote this 
idea into this movie about a football quarterback saving the universe. I mean, that was believable because these men were like the, the, the pinnacle of human spirit and athleticism. And you got behind a quarterback who cared about their fans. And it was a different thing then. I mean, I think the whole point, cause I think it's the doctor, right? He mm -hmm. says over and over, there's nothing like the human spirit. And what they're talking about is this idea. Oh, twice Flash Gordon says team up. Yeah, and I don't even know what that term is in space. <laughs> Aura has no, she's like, what? Aura, Princess Aura is like, what do you mean? Right? right. And then he says it to Baron. Baron just kind of has a blank stare, like mm -hmm. team up, what? <laughs> Whenever they ask Flash who you are, he says Flash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. Like that's imperative <laughs> to who his identity is. It's so important to him that right. it's part of his introduction. He could have just said right. Flash Gordon. Right, he could have, but quarterback is a big deal. I mean, the pilots mm -hmm. who are flying the plane ask him to sign their magazine for their kid named Buzz. And for some unknown reason, he is in Vermont on vacation. <laughs> I think that's so funny. He's spending it alone, right? In the first scene, he says to Dale, like, I saw you at the hotel last night and I asked the Mater D who you were, right? So we understand that he didn't try to get her in bed like on the first night that he saw her and they were both there alone. So you understand that he's a good guy. But then a few short scenes later, whenever Flash is fighting to Prince Baron for the Hawkman's entertainment, he essentially proposes to Dale after literally nothing and says, I want to have your, let's have kids. <laughs> have she's kids. like, I just got engaged. And I'm like, we're only an hour into the movie. <laughs> Slow down. I agree with you. 15 minutes into the movie, we have what I think is the sexiest scene out there still to this day. There's the scene in the rocket ship. They've just been abducted by Dr. Zarkov. And the three of them are in the rocket ship. And Dale and Flash trust each other. So they're sitting together and they're you know under duress. But they fall asleep because the G-forces are too strong. And then they start sweating. And then they start leaning into each other. And their hand, they get the close-up on the hands holding each other. And then <laughs> it's, it's like they're asleep, but they are. it's a very sexy scene. Gravity working in their favor. That's what it is. <laughs> I want to go back to Flash's t-shirt because his t-shirt, it says Flash. So not only is this a universally recognizable person, but he has a t-shirt with his name on it. I actually had a t-shirt that said Flash. I had that same t-shirt because I was such a fan of the show. I don't know where it is now, which is tragic. Would you ever consider having a t-shirt that just says Diana across this? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great little, it's a constant joke when he's wearing that t-shirt. Just contributes to his aura. It does. He's proud of who he is. I also have to talk about, so the football discourse, my favorite scene on Arbore Arborea, where he's, he's just been tricked into thinking that the prince will um, become his ally. He has to be tested by the wood beast. Prince Baron comes up behind and says, you trespass where only a tree man can enter. Try the wood beast or die. The quote is, the wood beast lies somewhere in the stump. Choose your passage. And he says, no way. And then Prince Baron begins this like egging him on. So he says, coward. And then Flash says, let's do it. And then he goes, his hand, he chooses one of the holes in the stump. And he says, it must be my lucky day because his hand comes out unscathed by this scorpion creature. Baron goes next and is egging him on. Scared? What do you, what would Aura think of you now? 
And then Flash begins his football lingo, right? He says, second down, your play. <laughs> and Baron says, no, yours. And he says, are you sure these are the rules? And Baron says, they've just been changed. It's this whole discourse of football. And so he keeps up this Flash. identity, like this quarterback, you know, makes all the plays. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, it's, it's solid writing that throughout the entire movie, he never loses his identity as a quarterback. He is always going to be exactly that. And I bet he went right back to the New York Jets and started playing football again. You know, he, he certainly evolves as a character, but he never loses that quintessential aspect of being a quarterback, which is I, I find that very charming and endearing. I do too. I feel like the logic behind it is like, what does a football hero do after they've won a Super Bowl? Oh, they go save the universe. Exactly. Right? Yeah, they go to <laughs> Disneyland first, and then they go save the universe. And then, yeah, from there, who knows? We, there's no there's no sequel to Flash, unfortunately. So we've, we've talked about, we haven't, we actually haven't talked about the Hawkman enough for my liking, because Brian Blessed as Prince Volton, the way he speaks and delivers his lines lives in my head forever. The way he says to the death, like most humans, I feel like speak with their lips and their tongue. He speaks with his teeth. It's so weird. Like he, he yells everything, but he's such a great, and he's always smiling. He changes the most. He says, thanks, right? When he's like left Flash for dead and Flash is calling him now. Flash is on the cycle or whatever he calls, space cycle or something. <laughs> and he calls him and he, he says, Flash, Gordon's alive, which is <laughs> one of the best. And then he says, thanks. And Flash says, what for? And he says, well, for giving a dumb old bird a second chance. He like realizes that maybe he should team up because he's reluctant to overthrow Emperor Ming. Which is what leads to his his feud with Prince Baron, which is Timothy Dalton of all people. They're always at each other's throats, which brings me to my next pertinent question, which is in a, in a fight to the death between Brian Blessed as Prince Volton and Timothy Dalton as Prince Baron, who wins? Oh, absolutely Prince Volton. Yeah. Don't you think? Do you agree? Yeah, I do. Not least of all because he can fly. That's a little unfair, but I don't care. <laughs> so then, you know, one of the main subjects I wanted to talk to you about is for those of you who aren't familiar with, with the Flash Gordon lore and trivia, George Lucas actually wanted to make... <laughs> they told him no, and he went off and made Star Wars instead, which worked out pretty well for him. My question to you, Diana, is how this world of ours... This real world would be different if if Flash Gordon was in place of Star Wars everywhere you look. Oh, I think we would have Wagnerian opera in our lives. I mean, these Hawkmen are like the Valkyries. We would beg for spinoffs as, you know, the Hawkmen, the Lion Men, all of the people who are just foreshadowed in the movie. We would have full movies mm -hmm. and we would have met the Ewoks. <laughs> before, you know, in 1980 instead of 1983, I think, because Arborea looks a lot like the land of the Ewoks on Endor. <laughs> it does, which unfortunately, instead, we get the Lizardmen, which are just really bad costumes. But they, <laughs> and, and the poor Lizardmen just get shit on. Like, they're trying to escape. They get vaporized. They're in prisons. They bury the dead. Like, nobody likes the Lizardmen <laughs> in, in the Gordon sphere, which is quite unfortunate. But, but you brought up, you know, it is pretty remarkable. And granted, this is based off a, a comic book series. So there, there was a lot of time to flesh this out. But there's a lot of stuff happening in, in this universe with Emperor Ming. And, you know, you mentioned the Hawkmen and the Arboreans and the Lionmen. And that opening scene with the, the football, that's really the, the only time you see. There's probably about another 10 alien races just in the room alone. So there's so much room here for more content. I think we would have had more to Dale, like Princess Leia 
you know, not just a travel agent. Yeah, yeah. Dale could have been a lot more than a cheerleader. She could have she could have done more with, with herself. Yeah, I mean, either way, it worked out fine because now we have both Star Wars and which I'm not complaining about that. Another thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, in every science fiction, there's going to be technological marvels, things that you see and you're like, oh, that's that's kind of neat. I would have never thought of that. With Flash Gordon, there are some rather silly ones. The, the first one we see is Flash Gordon arrives on Ming's planet and he extends his hand to shake the hand of these people. They're about <laughs> to capture him and they pull a gun and the gun shoots a hand <laughs> that a grabs Flash's hand and flips him around. <laughs> Uh-huh. Deus ex machina much? Yes. <laughs> like the, the golden hand that also do you remember when Aura is being tortured and the oh, yeah. hand, the hands are holding her down? <laughs> golden hands, right? The Jabberwocky red stormtroopers. Yeah, they use it on Flash when he comes out of Zarkov's rocket. You know, it's a minor thing, but whenever Clytus gives Dale a certain amount of time to talk to Flash, he has the the hourglass that goes upside down for no reason whatsoever because gravity clearly works regularly but in this world the sands go up for no reason whatsoever my favorite piece of technology is the drone i have to say it has figured largely until i was going to do this interview i didn't realize how much i write about drones and i think it's because of this movie the drone vaporizes zarkov's gun while it's hidden in its pocket if you remember i think this is something that star wars took from this movie because there's the Imperial drone interrogator in Empire mm. Strikes Back. It actually, it listens, there's the fisheye, you get the perspective from inside the drone where you're looking at the people and the fisheye photography, you can hear everything they're saying. And then at the end, like a good neutral piece of technology, it switches sides. Yeah, which is awesome. Like that, again, it's talking about things you'd never expected to have happened, that that was a nice refreshing thing. And the, the only other bit of technology I wanna mention it's actually a creepy part. Like you got all those people around the computer table and when you pull their eyes out, you realize they're just robots too. Like <laughs> instead of eyes, they have these goggles. They look like goggles, but when you pull the goggles off, their eyes like explode and all these wirings and stuff. It's actually kind of creepy. And of course they that add was, the music in to make you know it's creepy. By far the scariest moment in the whole movie. That or when Clytus dies and starts oozing stuff everywhere. That, that bit was a little unpleasant. And you know, when I saw... Raiders of the Lost Ark, I was prepared for the melting, popping eyeballs. Yeah, that scene. Yeah. Let, let's say they took that from Flash Gordon, too. Okay. So what else about the movie haven't I talked about yet that you want to bring up? The structure of the palace is like a red Wizard of Oz instead of green. Um, the Hawkmen are like flying monkeys, right? Okay. The sand, the hourglass you mentioned with Dale, she's like, I can't turn it over. It won't turn over. It won't turn over. It reminds me of Dorothy being held in the castle. And then the Princess Bride, like you have these beasts, like the beast in the, in the stump. Mm -hmm. And you have like the forest world in the Princess Bride where you have this fire swamp. And you have this... This figure, the, the man in black in The Princess Bride is like Flash, right? He's interrupting a wedding. He's trying to get to Emperor Ming before Dale marries Emperor Ming, the evil guy. Same. Same as the man in black saving um, Princess Buttercup from her doom. And Flash coming back from the dead like twice. I don't know. You have the man in black coming back from the dead. And so there's these tropes, right, that just ring true throughout at least my childhood and teenage life that keep repeating in different movies, even in the movie Airplane. <laughs> like Dale and Flash have to take over the airplane because 
the pilots are removed by a meteor in this movie, but in airplane, right? They they get sick from food poisoning. Yeah. So they have to right the hero and his his love interest take over the plane. So yeah, surprising how many times these tropes are repeated. And Flash Gordon did it first, which is just proof that Flash Gordon is the best of everything. But one thing that I haven't seen that I'd love to talk about in other movies, I've never seen this again. To save his memory from being erased, Dr. Zarkov, he recites, right? It's, it's a wonderful moment in the movie where he's telling Dale, the only reason my memory wasn't erased was because I recited Shakespeare, the Talmud, the formulas of Einstein, even a song from the Beatles. It armored me, girl. They can't wipe those things away. You can't beat the human spirit. So <laughs> it's this pretty philosophical moment where it's uh, weaving in, like you said, these really funny jokes, these profound moments of human history. And it's all supposed to make us feel like our culture, American culture is indomitable. Like Zarkov, he's the reason earth is gonna get demolished because he's figured out Ming is, is up there. But Dr. Zarkov, he's pretty, pretty fascinating. It, it makes me wonder, and this just occurred to me, why or if there should be a remake of Flash. For, I mean, I, I'm generally completely opposed to all remakes. I think they're all terrible. Just watch the original. But damn, I could always go for some more Flash. Right? Would you be for a remake? I would definitely be for a remake. Absolutely. Maybe George Lucas can do that one. Let's ask him. He's not doing much these days. You can call him. You know his phone number. Of course. Yeah, I got this. If this wasn't apparent enough to all of our listeners, you should be watching. <laughs> if you haven't already, it, it surprises me sometimes when people say they haven't seen it. Well, go up to the next 45 to 60 year olds and ask them because I'm 51. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was very blessed because my dad, my dad is not a science fiction pulpy fan, can't be at all. But for whatever reason, <laughs> like his favorite movie oh, I, think cool. I think it's because of queen he's a big yeah. queen fan oh it'd be a totally different movie without queen it would and, and you know I, I don't want to spend too long on this but i was so surprised in the bohemian rhapsody movie all about queen they didn't talk at all about how they did the, the soundtrack to flash gordon which just rubbed me the wrong way i'll never watch that movie again but i will watch <laughs> flash gordon again so take that yeah. and do you remember at the end where the last thing you see on the screen is the words the end yeah. but then you get the question mark. Yes. I forgot about that. Yeah, because the ring, the ring, whatever, there's that scene where, where Ming's ring, which has all the power, falls off and just kind of sits there, which means that the power's still there. Yeah. He wants to go grab it. That's right. He disappeared. He, he vaporized. So That's right. He's, he's still there. He is. All right. So, Diana, tell us about what you're writing. What, what are you working on these days? I'm working on a short story that actually features a drone that vaporizes weapons. Interesting, yes. interesting. Didn't realize that until I was starting to do this interview that it was connected. And I also realized all of the protagonist males in all my stories look like Timothy Dalton. Very as, nice. As Prince Baron, who was later, as we know, um, one of the James Bonds. So I'm writing about, you know, actually some short stories that have to do with war, uh, technology, science fiction, I love the the same tropes that we love in Flash Gordon. I write about like, you know, what what is empathy, humanity, you know, collaborative freedom fighting and liberation and and but I, you know, love the good villains. You have to have bad guys. 
I am writing also a play about toxic mothers and healing and how you heal from that. I'm writing a middle grade novel set in contemporary America. I love middle grade. Those, as soon as somebody says middle grade, I perk up. So oh, good. Keep working thanks. on it. <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Anything else you want to mention before we, before we wrap this up? Well, I hope you do Dune in the future. I hope that someone <laughs> is writing about Dune. There's something about the hand going into the box of pain that uh, is, is very important to talk about. Like, what is the greatest proof of your courage? Putting your hand somewhere where it might get hurt, right? Both of these movies do that. And the last movie I talked about was The Mummy Returns, which has that too. A guy has to reach his hand into some statue of Anubis. And of course it never goes well. When you stick your hand into strange holes, it never goes well. <laughs> but you still have to do it because like you said, it's a proof of courage. And Flash Gordon and um, Paul from Dune, they both end up fine. That's right. Because they're the heroes. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody needs to submit Dune. They also need to submit Highlander. I keep saying this. Somebody needs to submit Highlander because we haven't talked about that yet. And nobody has put it in. So somebody out there. Let's talk about Highlander. Do it. Yes. Do it. Well, thank you for this. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you for just submitting. Like I said, this as soon as I saw that, I knew I'd done something right. If somebody wants to come on and talk about I'm in the right place. So thank oh. you so much, Diana. And I hope that while you're playing this, you're putting on the flush. Uh. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much, Diana. To all of our listeners, thank you all again for being here. And we will see you next time.